Question 10, how did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, holiness, with dominion over the creatures. That doesn't sound like rocket science, does it? How did God create man? This, this is an important one in the day in which we live, isn't it? There's so much misunderstanding. There are so many lies and distortions. Um, we need to have a sound understanding. Young people, you need to have a sound understanding of, of, of how God has made us in his image, created us man as mankind, and mankind is male and female. Let's move on and look at question 11. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving, governing all his creatures and all their actions. Okay, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Let's pray specifically today for Chuck, that God will minister through him up there in the ministry that he's given to him in Jackson and provide all the people that he needs and all the funds. Father, what a, what a blessing it is to us that we are made in your image. To have relationship with you. Thank you for the gift that that is. Lord, because of our sin, we are dead in trespass and sin. Pray that you would use your word and your spirit today to create life in someone who does not know you. Lord, I pray that you would help our young people, young people in this church who are just being bombarded with messages out there that say that our understanding of a binary world in which there are men and there are women and and those lines are clear and they are distinct, that that's all fabrication. People that are propagating that lie, maybe it's because of the blindness of their heart, Lord, maybe it's self-deception, whatever. We know it's from the dark, evil, satanic world in which we live, the prince of the power of the air who's working in this world. Lord, as we live in this world, I pray that you would protect our young people from this thinking. And understand, Lord, that we are created male and we are created female. No confusion on that. It is a confusing, confusing day in which we live. And I pray that, Lord... You would help us to hold forth the word of life and truth. And that, Father, you would speak it into the lives of people around us. Pray for Chuck. Thank you for him. I pray that, Lord, you would minister to him physically, that you would give him the physical strength that he needs, that you would continue to raise his body up and heal him from the cancer, that you would bless him as he ministers to people who are really in difficult times in their lives. I know, Lord, that sometimes that is hard because 
it seems like the needs are so deep and so great. Father, help us just to be reminded that it's your work. All we do is plant and water. You give the increase. Lord, bless us together today. We enter your presence. We enter these gates with joy, with thanksgiving. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 5. For some reason, the boogeyman is in the computer today, so you won't get to see what I got here, but I got to use it because I've really, like, adapted through the years. So now my, instead of my outline being primarily on paper, it's primarily on computer. So I still need the dumb thing today, even though you don't get to see it. We're looking at John chapter 5, and we're really beginning in verse 19 and going through verse 29. Last week we skipped because we had a missionary speaker with us. So you got to jump back in your mind to where we were two weeks ago, and I know that's hard. But this is the first of the great apologetics or defenses that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John for his actions. There will be several of them. We'll see one here in chapter 5. We'll see one in chapter 6 after Jesus feeds the 5,000. We'll see one in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Chapter 9, and then by chapter 10, we're really jumping into some of Jesus' teaching more than an apologetic. An apologetic is a defense. So Jesus is explaining his action here. (coughs) At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has healed a man at a pool, the pool of Bethesda. You remember that, we studied it. Man has been there for decades. It's like a five-colonnaded hospital area by the sheep gate. Jesus walks up to him, do you want to be well? Take up your bed and walk. Man does so. It's Sabbath day. The Jewish rulers have gone apoplectic. Jesus confronts their misunderstanding of the fourth commandment, briefly here. He does so in other places in the Gospels when he is in Galilee. He builds on what he has said to them about his equality with the Father by explaining that not only is he one with the Father in person, But he is also one with the Father in work, in what he is doing. And this is what we see today. And we see Jesus speaking with the voice of truth and authority. So in the verses that we read today, Jesus will say three times, Truly, truly, amen, amen. Jesus is speaking with the voice of truth. Of verity. 
truth. But he is also speaking with a voice of authority. Truly, truly, I am saying to you, it is a voice of authority. <coughs> and so he explains here, in these verses that we will now read, that not only is he one with the Father in person, co-equal with the Father, he is also one with the Father in what he is doing. He is doing what he sees the Father doing, and he can do nothing of his own accord. And from that, we then ask ourselves the question, so what is the Father doing? What is it that the God, the Father, is doing? And we see that in the text. So notice with me, after thinking those thoughts for a minute, let's look at the verses. We're actually going to start reading in verse 17, because this is where we see Jesus giving an initial answer to the Jewish leaders who have attacked him because of the miracle that he has done on the Sabbath and the command that he has given for the man to take up his bed. In verse 17, Jesus said to them, My father is working up until now, and I am working. <coughs> Excuse me. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God, now notice this phrase, his own father, making himself equal with God. We already studied that briefly to explain how this speaks to the unique relationship between God the Father and God the Son in the eternal confines of the Godhead. There was only one God, and yet he eternally exists as three persons. And Jesus is saying, he is my own Father. He is talking about a unique relationship. Now, when we pray, we pray what? Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. In one sense, we have a relationship with God where God is our Father, and we pray to him as such. And we are commanded to pray to him as such. And because the Spirit lives within us, it tells us in Romans chapter 8, that Spirit cries out from within us, Abba, Father. And so there's a relationship that we have with God. God is not just some distant deity. No, he is our Father. He is our Abba. And we pray to him as such. But the relationship that Jesus has with his Father is eternally unique. He is his own father. And that's what he's talking about in this text. And they understand the implications of what he has said because they say he is making himself equal with God. Jesus goes on. So Jesus said to them, now, I want you to notice this is the first time he speaks with a voice of truth. Amen, amen. I am saying to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. He only does what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does 
likewise. For the Father loves the Son. He shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may be amazed. For as the Father, now this gets to what the Father is doing. Jesus says, I can only do what I see my Father doing. Now what is the Father doing? This is what the Father's doing. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. He, pronoun, would refer, antecedent to that pronoun would be who? Son. So also the Son gives life to whom the Son wills. For the Father judges no one. He has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Second time he speaks with a voice of truth and authority. Amen, amen, I am saying to you, whoever hears my word believes him who sent me, present possession has eternal life. He does not come under judgment but has departed. The word past is literally a word that most times in the Bible is translated to depart, to leave. He has departed from one land, the land of death. And he has arrived in life. So notice that verse. It's very important. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever does what? Hears my word, believes him who sent me, present possession has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has left death, the realm of death. He is now living in the realm of life. All of this is related to what we see the Father doing. Amen, amen. I am saying to you, an hour is coming. It is even now here. When the dead, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given, the Father has given to the Son authority to execute judgment 
because he is the son of man. Don't be amazed at this. An hour is coming, and now he is going forward, fast forwarding. Not from the hour that now is when the dead are hearing the voice of the Son of God and those who hear his li- will live. He says, and there is coming a time, don't marvel at this, the hour is coming when all, when all who are what? In the tombs, all at that time will hear his voice. And they will come out of the tombs. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Don't marvel at this. There's coming a day when all. Now, he said earlier, those who hear his voice will what? Live. And the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will what? Live. But then he also says there's coming a day. This is the great judgment day, my friend. When all. Great and small, rich and poor, all will hear his voice, and they will come out. Those who have done good will shine as the stars forever, and those who have done evil will be judged eternally. Let's think on. And so to do that, let's start with prayer. Lord, what we see in these words is so important. Lord, we we get by things They show up and there are instruction manuals in them. You know this, Lord, and most time we just discard them. We don't read them. We don't think about them. We don't see it as important. We just go on. We do what we're going to do. Father, I pray that your spirit would impress upon us that what we see in these verses is so important. That, with, that what we do with what we hear will determine what happens to us individually forever. I pray, Father, that you would help the solemnity of that to sink into our minds. This is not peripheral. There is coming a day when all will hear his voice 
and will render an account. I thank you that you gave us the verse before when you said, he who hears my voice, who believes in him who sent me, has eternal life. He will not come into judgment. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I thank you for that. But Lord, I am sure that in a room like this, there are some individuals who are teetering on that edge. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would draw them today. In your name, amen. There are three truly, truly statements. We looked at them one one is in verse 19, one is in verse 24, and one is in verse 25. These are where Jesus is speaking with the voice of truth and authority. We see some things about the Father and Son and the relationship of Father and Son, that they are one in person, they are one in work. We see that the Father leads and the Son performs, right? The Father is leading, the Father is showing him everything that he is to do, and then the Son does it. And the Son does nothing of his own accord. He only does what he sees the Father doing. And if we understand it correctly from the rest of the Gospel of John and from the rest of the Scripture, we see that the Father is directing the Son through the Spirit. And so we see the triune God. That inner Trinitarian relationship is so profound in the book of John, and we will see it develop time and time again. The crux of the message today what is the Father, the Son, doing? What is God doing? That's a big question, isn't it? What is God doing? What God is doing is he is giving life. Did you see that in the text? Draw yourself back into the verses in front of you where it says specifically that what the Father is doing, the Father loves the Son, He shows Himself all that He is doing, greater works He will show Him so that everybody can marvel. And then He says in verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead. The Father is raising the dead, and He is giving them life, so the Son gives life to whom he wills. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, it's now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will what? Live. What is God doing? He's giving life. He's bringing life. He is bringing life into what? The place of death. We live in the realm of death. We are born the walking dead, right? Spiritually. And God the Father is bringing life to the dead. This is what we call the work of regeneration. 
It's in verse 21. We read that verse, right? Verse 21. As the Father is raising the dead, he gives life, so the Son gives life to those whom he wills. When we think about John chapter, uh, this chapter, when we think about regeneration, when he says an hour is coming, it's now here. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. We are talking about a word. It is the word I had it, would have it on my screen so you could see it. It's the word regeneration. Regeneration. Sounds like a good band name, doesn't it? Maybe there is one out there. Regeneration. What does it mean to regenerate? What does it mean to regenerate something? It means to regenerate, to bring life into something that is dead. So when we talk about regeneration, we talk about this biblical doctrine of regeneration, we are talking about God is bringing life to those who have died. We have seen this often in the book of John. Since you don't get to look at a screen, you've got to turn a page. And you've got to go to chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he has been talking about how men reject him. But in verse 12, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave authority to become children of God. And they were born, not of blood, right? Not of blood. United States of America, there are not blood titles, nobility. You don't get something just because of who's son you are, not of blood, it is what? Not of the will of the flesh, it is not of the will of man, they were born from God. In chapter 3, we talked about regeneration, and you can flip over to chapter 3. The wind blows where it wishes. The spirit blows where he wishes, where he wills. You hear his sound. You don't know where it is coming from and where it is going. So is it with everyone who is born of the spirit. And so Jesus has told Nicodemus, and we've already studied this, you must be born again. And I've often told you, if you're born once, you die twice, physically and then eternally. But if you are born twice, you only have to die what? Once, Amen. barring the rapture or the return of Christ. There are two metaphors in the scripture that speak of the doctrine of regeneration. The first is being born again, being born of the Spirit. The second is what we are seeing in John chapter 5. The dead, the dead will hear. I don't say this tritely or 
in any way to be funny, but have you ever talked to a dead body in the casket? Can't, there's no response. The dead, the dead will hear. The voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. In Ephesians chapter 2, I would have you turn there because I want you to look at this. Since you can't look at it on the screen today. And that's nobody's fault. I'm not saying that in any way. It's just that's technology, right? We were using it to look at a YouTube and for some reason the YouTube must have blew its brain. But in chapter 2, he says this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Think of the course of a river. It's a course of a river, right? And it's just taking water and debris, and it's moving it inexorably along. There's very little that can stand against it because the course of the river is flowing along. And what he is saying, we are caught in the course of this world, and we are dead in sin, and we are just going with the flow. We are dead in trespass and sin, We are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And by nature we were children upon whom God's wrath was resting like everybody else. And then notice verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And this dovetails with what we just saw in chapter 5, even when we were dead. He made us alive. With Christ. He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. We are dead in sin. Romans chapter 5 talks about that. Genesis chapter 3 talks about that with the curse. The day you eat of it, you will die. And so we are all in death. We are all in the realm of death. And he comes and he makes us alive. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? What is the mark that someone is being made alive by God? And I want to look at this in the text because this is important. Because I think it's important you make a note of this. 
as we're talking with each other. You were born, each of us was born spiritually dead, correct? And you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again and he makes you alive. Right? Will you agree with me from the scripture? Okay. So what does it look like? Because you've got to be sitting there, like I would be sitting there if I was listening to some guy say this. Say, well, how do I know that I've been made alive? How do I know? What does that look like? What's the mark of that? And I want us to think about the text and some things that he shows us in these verses that are very important that we understand. Because I would say to you, this is eternally important, right? What does it look like to be alive in Christ? Because if I'm not, I want to know that, right? How about you? Now, I don't want to be the guy who goes into the tomb and then hears the voice of the Son of God and goes out to judgment. I want to be the guy who hears the voice of the Son of God and goes out to eternal life. Okay? So I don't want to be, I don't want any confusion on this. What does it look like? I'm going to jump back in history to a group called the Puritans. Ever heard of those guys? The mark of regeneration, according to them, is one word. You can write it down and think on it. Concern. And I'm going to take that word and I'm going to contrast it for a minute with another word. Apathy. Carelessness. Has nothing to do with church attendance. It has nothing to do with whether or not you've prayed a prayer, my friend. Nothing. First mark that God is waking you up from the dead is this right here. You will have concern. What does that mean? Have you ever been concerned because you left the house and you were going to Idaho Falls and by the time you got to Palisades Reservoir, you asked yourself in your mind, did I shut off the burner on the stove? (laughs) You ever had that thought? We all do things habitually, right? We don't think about what we're doing. Uh, When I was in Cody and I was night calving all the time on the ranch up in Cody, when I would go out at night, we had a bunch of heavies, we call them heavies, not to be funny, but Becky is kind of on the heavy side, right, right now. That baby is just sitting heavy, right? We call them heavies when they're getting ready to calve. And we'd have all these heavies in the heavy pen. And um, I would always fill the water tank so they'd have something to drink. And it'd be really cold, and I'd fill the tank. And I'd go out, and I'd check, make sure all everybody was good. There was nobody that was going to give birth. And then I'd go back in and crawl into bed, and I'd put my cold feet on my wife, Right? <laughs> And I would try to go back to sleep. And as I was going back to sleep, I would think, did I shut off the hydrant? And I couldn't go to sleep. So I had to get back up 
and go out and see if I shut off the dumb hydra. And I always had. I just wasn't thinking about when I did it. Right? But I was concerned. Most people that come to church Most people that are walking around the planet ultimately have very low concern about eternity. The first sign that God is waking you up is one day You're going to all of a sudden say to yourself, Wow, I remember what I did. I wonder if God's okay with that. And you're going to breathe a deep sigh, and you will feel in your soul. Concern. Now, there are three things in the text that God says, Jesus is saying, you will be concerned about when he is waking you up. The first one is impending judgment. You talk to most people in the world, go to the mall, and you ask somebody, you know, are you ready to meet God? What's going to happen when you stand before God? What are they going to say? Let's go to Domino's Pizza and get another bite. I'm okay. No big deal. And they're completely apathetic. When God is waking up your soul, and you remember this if you know him, The first thing you felt was a sense of impending judgment. And you were concerned about it. That's a good thing. In the Old Testament, God confronts the leaders of Israel of his day who were healing the wound of the people of Israel superficially and saying to them, peace, peace, when there was no peace. And God was at war with them. When someone comes to you and you sense in them concern about sin, don't just say to them, oh, it's okay. We want that concern to settle deeply in the soul. It is the first step that God is using to wake us up. Young person, raised in a Christian home. If you're here today and you are feeling squirmy in your seat, good on you. I'm glad. 
Not because I'm trying to make you miserable. No. You know why? Because it is the first thing that God will do to bring you to eternal life. And you've got to walk that road. A sense of impending judgment. The second thing is he will make us concerned, and we saw this in the text, about the honor of the Son. About the honor of the Son. And what he means by that is this. All of a sudden, we will go, and I had, man, I, uh, We, we will go from a sense of impending judgment and not knowing what to do. Like the man in a pilgrim's progress. Remember that in the pilgrim's progress? He has a burden on his back. He says, what, what do I do? And God brings an evangelist to him. And he shows him Jesus. And the second step on the road to eternal life is all of a sudden we honor the Son. We see what Jesus has done. And we lift him high. We realize there's nothing I can do to deal with my sin. It's him. The third thing, and I've got to bring this to an apex and bring it to conclusion. I'm going to talk about it in Cowboy Church again. It's this. The third mark of eternal life is this. We hear and heed the voice of God. We hear and we heed the voice of God. We hear him speak and we do what he says. That is why he can say that on the judgment day, he will look and say, oh, they've done good. These have done good. Why? Because they had a concern to hear his voice and to heed what he has said. And so we do. The third mark of eternal life is a concern in our life to hear the voice of the Son of God and to do what he has said. Most of the world don't give a rip, right? Most of the world don't give a rip. Apathy. Fast forward, John chapter 11, and I'll close. Jesus gets word through an email. No. Right, Jesus gets word. The one whom you love is sick. He's going to die. Jesus waits three days, and then he goes. Mary and Martha confront him. Why? If you'd have been here, he would not have died. Take me to the grave. Roll away the stone. Don't do that. By now he stinks. He's dead. The voice of authority. Jesus does what? Lazarus. Come forth. Those who hear his voice will come forth spiritually. Because he speaks with the voice of authority. He gives life. Those who hear his voice, believes in him who sent him, have eternal life. In John 8, 47, it says this, whoever is of God 
hears the words of God. Whoever is of God hears the word of God. So three marks of being awakened. Number one, a concern about judgment. Has there been a time in your life when you were concerned about your sin? Secondly, he takes us to what? Christ. And he shows us Christ high and lifted up. And we are drawn to him. We believe in him. And we hear the voice of the Son of God. And we heed his word. These are the marks of regeneration. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can depart from judgment, not by anything that we can do because we are dead, but because of the voice of authority of the Son of God. Lord, I pray that you would walk up to the tomb of someone's heart and that, Lord, you would call their name and they would respond. For, Lord, there is coming a great day of judgment. Help us to be ready. Lord, I pray that you would just start that work in someone's life today by settling into the heart of some person. Concern. Instead of apathy. That you would light that fire. And you would do that work. In Jesus' name.